0: This is the Young Gunners podcast from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I'm your host, Nick Gwynn. I am an IP attorney in San Antonio, Texas with the firm Gun Lee & Cave. Our guest today is Ted Lee, my colleague and the founding partner of our firm. Ted will talk to us today about IP law and the ways young IP attorneys can find success in their careers. Ted, good morning. Thank you for being with us.
1: Good morning, Nick. Does young gunners mean you're shooting for the old gunners?
0: <laughs> Some might say that, I suppose, but I think it's just uh, intended for highly, uh, high-achieving and uh, high-aspiring uh, young lawyers. Uh, All take, right. it, take it however you like it. Uh, <laughs> Ted, Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do for your clients?
1: Okay, let me give you a little bit of background. I literally was raised on a farm in Alabama, you know, picking cotton and all of that type of stuff. And so you you hear the jokes about the old country lawyer. Well, I am an old country lawyer. (laughs) And it's kind of interesting how I ended up becoming an IP attorney uh, over the years. I I started out uh, literally going to Auburn University. Uh, I was broke. I didn't have any money. And so I had to get a job to pay my way through school. And so I worked as a co-op student. I worked for NASA uh, as a co-op student. And I went to Auburn. And I got a degree in electrical engineering from Auburn. And about the time I was about to graduate, that was in the middle of Vietnam, and I really didn't want to go and become cannon fodder as they say in Vietnam. And so I was looking, and I decided at that point in time to go to law school. And so I was checking with the various branches of service and the only one that would give me a three-year deferment was the Marine Corps. So I ended up signing up and joining the Marine Corps. Uh, And in turn, they gave me a three-year deferment where I could go to law school. And while I was in the the law school uh, and I was working as a co-op student, I found out that I could work in their patent department as a patent agent. So during the period of time I was in law school, I worked as a patent agent, uh, first for NASA, and then later I worked for Bendix Corporation. Uh, before I I graduated from law school. And then I had to fulfill my obligations with the Marine Corps. So I ended up with three years in the Marine Corps uh, trying court-martials. So by the time that I actually got out of the service, I had basically two to three years trial experience, but in court-martials. And I had a couple of years experience prosecuting patents. And that's when I, I graduated and finished up and I came to work for a law firm in San Antonio. And I found out that having the experience of the litigation and the trial plus the patent experience all merged very well together uh, as a patent attorney. And so it just evolved. It wasn't any great planning or anything like that. It just evolved that I became a patent attorney.
0: Now, when you were looking for, at law firms, were you looking to work as a, a patent attorney?
1: Well, by that time, I, I had figured out that being a patent attorney uh, paid a little bit more than some of the other jobs. OK. Uh, and so I was looking at the area of uh, being a, at that time. It wasn't intellectual property, by the way. It was patent attorneys. That's what everybody called it. And the prospects of getting a job and uh, getting a little bit higher starting salary was greater with patent lawyers than it was for just the general population. And after I finished it with the Marine Corps, the advantage of being a a patent attorney and having litigation experience ended up uh, marrying very well together and was literally in demand at that time.
0: Did you uh, join a firm that did uh, patent law exclusively or did the firm do other types of work?
1: I I joined the firm of Cox and Smith, as it was known at that time. Now it's Dykema. Uh, But Cox and Smith had a one patent attorney in in their firm. And they had about 25 attorneys, I think, at that time. And I was the second patent attorney to join the firm. And... uh, initially I was doing almost exclusively patent prosecution uh, work but after a short period of time I got all the patent prosecution patent applications filed and I was kind of looking around for uh, something else to do and one of the attorneys brought me in on some litigation and so I ended up starting to do litigation uh, and within a few years I found out that I had more litigation experience than Uh, most of the patent attorneys that were out there trying patent cases. And so it kind of evolved that I ended up doing litigation with the Cox and Smith law firm, plus, you know, the
0: normal patent prosecution. And uh, you eventually left uh, Cox Smith and uh, you started your own firm. What did that process look like?
1: Well, (laughs) you wonder if the clients are going to come to see you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I, I left Cox' and Smith law firm but I, I hung out my own jingle, as I saying it goes. And you always wonder, well, are the clients are they going to come to me And, and after a period of time, you, you work hard, you do good work uh, and you, you know other people come and they hire you and uh, you build up a practice. And, and it's basically built up in one of two ways. It's satisfied clients coming back to you and referring other people to you uh, or it's other attorneys referring work to you. And 90% of the work that you get comes from probably one of those two sources.
0: I remember a story that you told me uh, before about a Friday afternoon driving to Houston with your truck and coming back with a filing cabinet. Could Could you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Well...
1: This, this was at the time that I, I left Coctus Smith, that Don Gunn was in Houston, and we agreed to set up a, a partnership, and I didn't have any desks or furniture or anything like that, and I, I went to Houston, and Don Gunn had had his office for a, a number of years, and he he gave or loaned to me a file cabinet, some desks, I think an old mag card machine, and I brought them back in the back of my truck and uh, rented an office space in one of the buildings, and I, I
0: was in practice. <laughs> I wasn't the, able to pay myself for six months, but I was in practice. <laughs> and the uh, the rest is history, as, uh, as you might say. The rest is history. <laughs> uh, well, tell us a little bit, what makes IP practice a little bit different than other areas of the law? Well, there's some
1: ways that it's different and there's some ways that it's the same. It's different from this standpoint. You need to understand the technology and and let's assume it's some complicated electronic circuit. Uh, My degree is in electrical engineering and obviously that would aid in understanding what the invention is that you're talking about. So patent attorneys, normally have a technical degree. As a matter of fact, if you're go- going to become licensed to practice for the patent office, uh, you, it's required that you have some type of technical degree. Plus you have to pass an exam. And both of those things occurred and uh, I am now a quote patent attorney. And you hope that you have the clients that come to you and hire you to do intellectual property work. Now that's the part that is different. The part that it's the same is if you got a, a lawsuit involving a patent, while you may be arguing technical issues, the trying of that lawsuit is going to be the same. The rules of evidence are going to be the same. Uh, getting witnesses, deposing it, taking discovery is going to be the same. But the part that is different is the technical part. And when I started in practice, you basically tried a patent case just like you did any other case. Uh, and the issues of patent validity and infringement all went to the jury if you'd requested a jury and the jury determined all of it and judgment was entered. Then the what we call markman hearings uh, basically came to law in around 96 time frame. And so now the judges quote interpret the claims uh, and after they're interpreted, then they apply uh, that interpretation in determining infringement. Well, there wasn't a separate Markman hearing when I started. Uh, and the Markman hearing is basically a, a later uh, evolution of
0: intellectual practice, intellectual law practice. Okay. What, what suggestions do you have for young lawyers who are looking to get into IP or, or patent?
1: The most important thing that you can do is to get the initial experience, because if you have no experience in the IP area, it's very hard to get somebody to hire you uh, for that initial uh, round of experience. It, do anything that you can to get the initial experience, even if it means working for free and go into an IP firm and just clerking for them for little or no money. But get that initial experience so that you can say, well, I've done bad prosecution for the last year or six months or whatever. And I'm pretty good at it. But you, you now have something to market yourself. And so whatever you need to do to get the initial experience, do that. Uh, you might be able to get more pay or more money on the short term from some other job, but on the long term, if you could work in the intellectual property field, you'd probably make more money. But you got to get that initial experience to get the job to make more money.
0: You know, you and I, uh, the other attorneys in our firm, we we took a a different, an additional exam to the state bar, we took the, the patent bar, um, do you recommend that aspiring patent lawyers take that exam early if they can?
1: I would, I'd recommend taking it as early as you can. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to take it based upon uh, educational background. You can do it based upon experience, but the problem with getting it that way is that you have problems getting an initial experience because somebody won't hire you because you don't have the qualifications. So it, it's kind of a, you know, uh, kind of like a dog chasing its tail. Uh, you haven't got a hold of it because nobody hired you. So get that initial experience, whatever way you need to get it. Uh, it and even if it means working for free or reduced wages or whatever for a period of time,
0: do it. What, uh, what tips do you have for the listeners as to getting clients and keeping clients?
1: Well you got to be likable. People have got to like you. And, and one of the things that I have found is that when a client comes in to uh, see me, uh, I mean, I try to some way or another uh, like some of the same things that they like. And if they start talking about riding their bicycle or, or whatever or uh, Boy Scouts, then I start talking about the things that I've done riding the bicycle or Boy Scouts or going hiking or, or whatever it, it may be. Uh, it's, you basically try to have common interests that your clients have. And if you have those common interests, you normally that helps in developing satisfied clients. Satisfied clients means more work and more business. So you try to... Uh, stream up or come up with that common connection. I I must admit one time I had this couple that was in their fifties and they were getting a patent on a doll stand and they were collecting dolls and I
0: had a little problems drawing a connection with them. You didn't have a whole lot of experience with dolls and doll stands.
1: I didn't have experience
0: with dolls and doll stands. When, do, you, do you recall what you did instead to, to build the relationship? I don't remember exactly what it
1: was, but you just basically be friendly and talk to them. Oh, yes, you know, uh, where do you go to the shows, you know, uh, what type of people are there, you know? And you just, you just talk about it. You, you try to build some relationship with them. But that one was a little harder than most of them. <laughs>
0: I imagine if if you're not familiar with dolls and doll stands, that one might be a little tough. Um, Well, what what has been your favorite case or matter that you've worked on throughout your career?
1: Well, probably my all-time favorite, John Pinckney, uh, who recently passed away, by the way. uh, John Pinckney and I tried a case involving Pace Picante Sauce, and it was for the secret formula for Picante Sauce, and... We had been trying the case for, I guess, a couple of days, and a newspaper reporter just walking through the courthouse, and he came in, and he looked in our courtroom where we were trying, it, and there were about 50 jars of Connie sauce sitting on the shelf in front of the jury that we had introduced at various times, and the uh, reporter said, oh, what's this case about? And we told him, uh, basically, I was representing some ex-employees, and John... And his client was suing them for theft of trade secrets, et cetera. And we told him a little bit about it. And didn't think anything else. Next morning, the headlines in the local paper was "Hot Sauce Case Heats Court." Well, this was at the same time as the John H. Wood murder trial was taking place. And then the other newspaper, basically, go
0: ahead and pause for a second.
1: Then the other newspaper, at that time we had two newspapers in in San Antonio, picked up the case and it was headlines for uh, at least a week uh, concerning that case. One juror got sick and couldn't make it in. So we had to postpone one day of trial. And the next day the headlines were the juror can't stomach hot sauce case. And, And it went back and forth. And I had relatives from the state of Washington, they were saying, hey, I saw your name in the paper. And anyway, we tried that case. The reporters left the murder trial and came over and were uh, sitting in on the hot sauce case. And it, it was it was a FUD case. It was a FUD case. This is all down at the federal courthouse? No, no. This is state courthouse. Uh, I'm trying to remember the judge's name. He was an Aggie. Uh, Everything in his office was Aggie. Uh, his name will come to me in a minute, but it, it, it was fun. Oh, I, uh, John John's a, was a good lawyer.
0: Um, uh, well, with you've given a lot of great tips. Any final advice for the, the young lawyers listening? If you
1: work hard and do a good job, and, and you know, you need to be likable if, if you're oh, horrible personality that's a different story but if you work hard and you do a good job and, and you build at a fair price uh, you'll do okay I mean clients uh, appreciate you appreciate the work uh, but you've got it you've got to work hard uh, there's no substitute for hard work and build them a fair price but tell them in advance how much it's going to
0: cost and then stick to it all right. Well, I think that's some great advice. Thank you, Ted. Thank you for all for listening to Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Don't forget to check out other episodes available on our website, tyla.org, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at, at Tex Young Lawyers using the hashtag Young Gunners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode.